Welcome to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast, a place where hungry minds discuss all things evidence-based nutrition, fitness, mindset, and healthy living. We're your hosts, registered dietitian and nutritionists, Courtney, Darian, and Hannah. Let's dive in. The information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only, so always speak to a healthcare provider such as a registered dietitian who can work with you directly about your unique healthcare needs. Hello there, and welcome back to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast. Today, we're taking a deep dive into supplements because as dietitians, we find ourselves asked quite often which supplements we take and recommend to our clients. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the top evidence-based supplements, what cases we might recommend you take a supplement, and the supplements you'd actually find in our cabinets at home. So before we dive into this topic, we did want to share our baseline philosophy on supplements. So somewhat ironically, we think about reaching health and wellness goals a bit like building an ice cream sundae. Like a bowl, your lifestyle habits are the foundation onto which you build. And then from there, the ice cream flavor you choose are the specific nutrition habits that support your body. We also think of the chocolate sauce on top of the sundae like more advanced strategies like the how you time and space your meals across the day. But finally, supplements are like that cherry on top. So while supplements have their place, we wouldn't build our ice cream sundae by starting with the cherry. We share this analogy to encourage you to consider how supplements fit in the big picture of your habits and food choices because supplements truly are intended to complement your nutrition strategy rather than to be the base of your nutrition strategy. Yeah, I'm excited for this one because I think uh, all too often when clients come to us, they are really excited to dive into, you know, what supplements can I be taking to, you know, enhance my progress, enhance my goals. And it's like, you know... Like Court said, we start with our basic nutrition strategies, and today we're really going to dive into when and if you might need some specific supplements. We'd also like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, Supplement King. Supplement King is a locally owned and operated store in Saskatoon located on Clarence Avenue in Stonebridge. Supplement King is proud to offer the largest selection, best service, most knowledgeable staff, and lowest prices in Canada. They are dedicated to helping you achieve your goals no matter what they might be. We will be sharing specific supplements, but before we do, we wanted to share five questions we have clients ask themselves before purchasing a supplement. Yeah, so anytime we are taking a supplement, it is a bit of a risk, and this is because the supplement industry isn't regulated the same way that the food industry is in Canada. The manufacturers and distributors of dietary supplements are responsible for making sure their products are safe before they go to the market. So for this reason, we don't necessarily just want to trust a supplement company. We want to make sure that it's tested and it's safe. So there's a few questions that we can ask ourselves before we purchase the product. So the first question is, is there evidence that this supplement will actually work? So a supplement company can make a claim on the label about what the ingredient or the supplement is doing without actual evidence to back that claim. So we want to make sure that what the supplement is saying it's going to do is actually what it does. So of course, we can consult with a trusted healthcare provider like a dietitian to ensure this supplement is going to support us with our mm-hmm. goals and be safe for our bodies. Um, but then if we also want to learn more about supplements, we can do research by looking at different research articles or a great resource that I like to use 
a, as a dietitian is examine.com that kind of simplifies and directs you to different research articles about this specific supplement. The second question is what is the effective and safe dose? So certain supplements can have side effects at high doses or if they're taken too long. And this is where we really get to help our clients and guide them and essentially do the work for them in understanding what supplements and what dose is going to support their goal. Yeah, exactly. So a third question we can ask ourselves is, is this specific product safely produced? So just as a quick check, you can actually look on the label for a good manufacturing practices stamp, so GMP, and that's just going to tell you that there's quality control going into manufacturing and getting this product onto the market. The fourth question, is it approved for sport? So for athletes especially, it's crucial that the supplements they take do not test positive for banned substances. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, sometimes supplements have ingredients in them that are not approved for sport. And when it comes to making sure the supplement is safe and allowed for your sport, using the World Anti-Doping Agency resources for ingredient checks. Um, Keeping in mind, this simply means that you're basing safety on what's on the label, not necessarily what's truly in the supplement. Yeah. So sometimes even if they are saying that, you know, there's no banned substances Mm -hmm. in this supplement, there can be cross-contamination. So for athletes at a high level, sometimes we'll like test these products again to make sure there's no banned substances in the product. So I know when I was working with Olympic athletes as part of my internship, we take these third-party tested products and then test them again. (laughs) And sometimes they would still find traces of banned substances. So again, there is a risk to taking supplements, but for athletes, especially athletes competing at a high level who are undergoing testing, this is a, a really important consideration. And so we can look for these checks from Informed Sport or Informed Choice that are going to tell us that the product is third-party tested and approved for sport. Um, But again, still a bit of a risk there. And the fifth question is, does this product actually contain the ingredients I want? So this is uh, very closely linked to our last point about third-party testing, where we want some um, sort of third-party testing program to actually be checking to see what these um, companies are saying is in the product is actually in the product. Um, So a stamp that you can look for, again, is that Informed Sport, Informed Choice, or NSF. And we understand this can all be very confusing. So this is where there's definitely Mm -hmm. some benefit to reaching out to a registered dietitian who can sift through all of this information for you and let you know the supplements that are going to be effective for your goals, but also safe for your body. Okay, now that we've got those questions out of the way, let's dig into the supplements and the topics that you as listeners probably are actually here for. (laughs) (laughs) The first supplement we are probably asked about most often and do recommend most often to our clients is protein powder and bars. Yeah. So protein powders and protein bars are essentially like concentrated sources of protein from animal or plant foods. So they're isolating these proteins from things like dairy, eggs, rice, or even peas. Um, And so while you certainly can get enough protein from food sources alone, some people benefit from protein powders or protein bars to reach optimal protein levels and essentially reach their specific goals. Mm -hmm. So when might you recommend a protein powder or bar to a client? Yeah, so we know that getting adequate protein at meals and snacks is key to regulate blood sugars, which honestly, blood sugars come up in every single podcast. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, protein is also important to get those essential amino acids we need to build and maintain muscles. Um, 
So there are certain populations who are going to benefit from getting enough protein, and we can do that through protein bars and protein supplements. So um, common cases where I find myself recommending um, protein bars or supplements are athletes Mm -hmm. um, or anyone really who exercises or resistance trains because we're going to have increased protein needs, and it can be difficult to get that protein through Mm -hmm. food alone. Um, So it can be very convenient and also very tasty to be adding in protein powders are bars, whether we're adding it as a post-workout, like protein shake, or we're building these foods into our meals, like adding protein to a smoothie or having a protein bar as a snack. Definitely. And, you know, in some cases, too, specific protein powders have additional benefits. So, for example, OA isolate is a fast digesting protein that will help optimize that muscle recovery. And for athletes, it just contains higher levels of amino acids, a specific one called leucine that is associated with increased muscle protein synthesis. So it has that benefit there. Yeah. And I would also add that, you know, we're talking about protein from the perspective of athletes or people who train. But honestly, we often will recommend protein bars and supplements to people who don't exercise. And that's Mm -hmm. more from the blood sugars perspective, where we're looking for convenient sources to build that protein into meals. So if a client is more likely to, you know, have protein, if it means they can add a protein powder they love to a smoothie, I'm like, yes, let's do it. Let's get that protein in that way. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what's the recommended dose? you find yourself suggesting? Yeah, so there's no like recommended dose or upper limit necessarily to protein powders or protein bars Mm -hmm. aside from like exceeding your caloric requirements for the day. However, uh, as dietitian, I say, and you can jump in on this, Darian, that I find myself usually recommending clients have no more than two servings per day Mm -hmm. of a protein powder or a protein bar. Um, Because if we're having more than that, we're maybe displacing other protein-rich foods that are going to offer, you know, other amino acids or other vitamins and minerals. And we also want to consider consider that protein powders and bars, they're a more processed form of a protein Definitely. too. Yeah. So they're going to digest a little bit faster. And so that might not keep us full for as long as say like eggs or chicken yeah. breast or a steak. Absolutely. And you know, honestly, they're a little bit more pricey too sometimes. So there's also that consideration for clients. If they do find that they're relying on it more often, then we absolutely jump in and, you know, see what strategies we can come up to like Court said, reduce their consumption to maybe two times a day. All right, Court, so you mentioned athletes and maybe out of convenience as people who would benefit from protein bars or powders. Are there any other populations um, that you would maybe recommend? Yeah, I would say um, sometimes vegetarians or vegans um, who are looking to increase protein in their diet, but they might not have as many options available to them just based on their preference Mm -hmm. not to consume meat or potentially dairy. Um, So then they can be, you know, choosing plant-based options for their protein bar or protein powder. Um, And then I would also just say people who are really like tasty (laughs) protein options, because let's be honest, some of the protein powders and protein bars on the market lately are tasty. So sometimes clients will opt for a protein bar um, almost as like a little sweet tooth fix in their day, um, but still a food source that is higher than protein and higher in protein and oftentimes fiber. So they still get that blood sugar support while eating something really, really yummy. So, Courtney, you mentioned protein, fibers. What might you look for when choosing a protein bar? 
So when considering protein bars specifically, of course, it's going to be like individual. For example, if someone doesn't tolerate dairy, then we're going to have to choose a bar that has a plant-based protein powder. Um, however, when we're actually like digging into the nutrition facts label, there's three key things I like to look for. So the first is looking at the protein and trying mm -hmm. to choose a bar with 12 grams or more of protein. Um, from there, I like to look at fiber to try to choose a bar with more fiber. So I like to look for three grams or more. Um, but then we kind of want to be mindful of some of those bars that are really loaded with added mm -hmm. fiber as those can cause some digestive distress. So maybe I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, okay. And then the third thing I like to look for on a protein bar is that it has around 250 calories or less. And that's usually because when we're having a protein bar, it's more of a snack option. Right. And some of the bars are really loaded up with, with lots mm -hmm. of energy, which for certain people actually would be great. Mm -hmm. um, but for a lot of people, looking for that lighter bar is usually mm -hmm. more in alignment to the goals that they're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. I like the like looking for over that 12 grams of protein. I know it sounds maybe silly, but there's a lot of protein bars out there marketed as a protein bar that actually have less than like 10 grams of protein. Yeah. Classically, the regular Cliff Bar. So many yeah. clients will be like, oh, I had like a Cliff Bar as a protein bar. And there are Cliff Bars that are yes. high protein, which can be a great option. But a lot of the bars that we think of as protein bars are actually energy bars, mm -hmm. so not so high in protein, so they don't have that blood sugar supporting effect. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Darian, I'm going to throw the ball in your court. What might you look for in a protein powder um, for a client? Yeah, so protein powders, there's definitely a few varieties out there and they can depend on the needs. Um, so again, tolerance is definitely the first thing we kind of look at in terms of, you know, if someone or their preferences. So if someone's vegan or looking for a, a dairy-free one, we'd look at a plant-based option. But then there are different types, um, whey isolate being one that's just the highest quality protein powder. And it's usually tolerated the best, unless of course there's a dairy allergy we have to consider. A casein protein powder is a little bit slower digesting. So this one can be um, advantageous before bed or even in smoothies when you're just looking to kind of sustain your blood sugars and have that longer digesting source of protein. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, on the plant-based protein side, we have yet to maybe find one that we love. Um, I don't know if you can attest to that yet, Court. <laughs> yeah, plant-based protein powders are certainly an important consideration, like you said, Darian, for a lot of people with mm -hmm. dairy intolerances or allergies or vegan lifestyles. However, they, they just tend to have a chalkier yeah. taste based on um, the ingredients they're sourcing from. So if you have a great plant-based protein powder that mm -hmm. you think tastes awesome and doesn't have a chalky kind of texture, we would love to hear about it because mm -hmm. we have been trying to find the best one to recommend to our clients and we just have haven't found it yet. Yep. I think a big one too, in terms of choosing a protein powder is, and Court, you can jump in here, you know, unless we are using it for specific need, like an athlete who is looking to optimize that muscle protein synthesis post-workout, honestly, it comes down to flavor too, right? If you're using it just to get some extra protein and maybe flavor that plain Greek yogurt, then truthfully, just choose one that you enjoy. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. So Darian, uh, we talked a little bit about how high fiber in a protein bar mm. specifically could have some um, digestive side effects. Can you share like what kind of side effects you could experience from a protein powder or bars and how we might um, navigate that? Yeah, so 
protein uh, bars specifically typically will sometimes have some added fibers or even sugar alcohols that just don't digest as great in our stomachs and essentially just pull a little bit more water into our intestines and some clients experience more bloating or even like diarrhea or constipation. Um, so it's really important to look for those added sugar alcohols specifically. They end in the all, so like uh, mannitol, sorbitol, um, xylitol, and um that's commonly the one that I find causes the most GI distress. I'll have a lot of clients come to me they're like, I just like, my stomach hurts so bad. Like, I think I have like a lot of gush, gut issues and I'll kind of look at their intake. I'm like, oh no, man, like, you know, you're eating a Kirkland protein bar. I'm sorry to throw them under the bus, but it's like, let's get rid of that and see what happens. So unfortunately, as tasty as they are, we do have to kind of look for some of those ingredients. Yeah, the sugar alcohols for sure. And then like mm-hmm. you said, the, the fibers. fibers. So yeah. typically if a bar has five grams, more than five grams, grams of fiber, probably the red flag that they're adding a fiber to it, which again, some people tolerate these added fibers just fine. But if you go into the ingredients list and you're seeing things like inulin Inulin, or chicory root fiber, um, that might just be something to monitor if you choose Mm -hmm. to eat that bar. Just see if your digestion is okay. And if things are changing, you might trace it back to that added fiber. And then you just want to choose a bar that doesn't have an added fiber, but is still getting fiber naturally from whatever ingredient they're adding like nuts and seeds or oats. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So Darian, do you have a favorite (laughs) protein bar? Well, I mean, if you know, you know. (laughs) Oatmeal Gold Bar for sure. Um, I really do like the feed bars too, but Oatmeal Gold Bar is definitely a tried and true favorite at Vitality. Um, For me personally, I'll... I'll just keep them in my car, honestly. They just stay nice and cold in there, and then I'll grab one if I need a quick like snack before the gym or afternoon snack or anything. So that'd be my go-to. Um, what about you, Court? Yeah, you know it's the same. <laughs> so the oatmeal gold bar, specifically in the flavor natural, there's a little bit less added sugar to the natural bar, yes. which I like, plus the taste is really great. Mm-hmm. Actually, the first time I walked into Supplement King, <laughs> I'm a pretty friendly person, but for some reason in this particular particular case, I was like on a mission. I walked in and Dean, the owner who I now know very well was working. And I just walked in and said, do you have oatmeal gold bars? And he's like, no. And I just like turned around and walked out. Um, And then later I got to know Dean better and he actually brought the oatmeal gold bars into the store. So now that's my top place to (laughs) grab oatmeal gold bars. And he is sure to keep them stocked to keep me happy. Um, So if you are looking to try the oatmeal gold bars, you can find them in the fridge. They're actually refrigerated. Mm -hmm. It's just based on the ingredients. They keep better that way. Um, So you can find those bars at Supplement King. Our bottom line is that while protein powders and bars aren't necessary to meet your protein needs, they can be a convenient and tasty way to supplement your protein intake. Number two, electrolytes. So what are electrolytes, Darian? Electrolytes include sodium, potassium, calcium, and magnesium, and they are just that. They are electric charges in these minerals that help regulate fluid balance across our cell membranes. Um, So you can think of minerals and electrolytes as providing something for the water to essentially grab onto so they can be utilized in our body and not just flushed through. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they think hydration, which is really what we're talking here with electrolytes, they just think of mm-hmm. fluids and drinking more water and, you know, hitting on those yep. water goals. But being hydrated and optimizing cell and nerve function is actually largely about electrolytes. And so we want to make sure that we're getting enough electrolytes. So, Courtney, I know a lot of the time when people hear electrolytes, they think athletes and that athletes are the only ones who might benefit. But what are some other populations or scenarios that may warrant the addition of electrolytes? Yeah. So essentially like any time that you're sweating more. So of course athletes sweat more, but it could be anyone working in hot climates Mm -hmm. or anyone who just has a high sweat rate um, or who are doing like a lot of training or higher intensity training. It could also be breastfeeding moms who have high fluid needs and they need to retain more of that fluid and electrolytes can help them with that. Um, It can be women in the luteal phase of their cycle. So that week before their period where electrolyte are shifting. Um, This is like a huge population where we see a major benefit to Mm -hmm. electrolyte supplementation in terms of like lessening the symptoms through that pre-menstrual phase. Um, It could also be anyone in a season of high stress because when we're stressed, our adrenal glands require more electrolytes to kick out some of those stress hormones. Um, It could be for people with digestive Mm -hmm. distress or IBS when they're losing electrolytes. It could even be anyone who experiences muscle cramping or twitches in the night. Um, People on lower carbohydrate diets because they're not retaining as much of the electrolytes, so they need more. Or even, and this is more specific to athletes, but anyone doing like steady state cardio um, for 60 minutes or more, they might be looking at supplementing that training session with electrolytes. That was a lengthy list. This is why we (laughs) recommend them, I guess. (laughs) Okay, so Courtney, how might someone know that they're maybe low in electrolytes or need to add some into their routine? Yeah, so you could definitely just consider those scenarios and think, okay, these scenarios have increased Mm -hmm. electrolyte needs. Maybe I should talk to a dietitian about supplementing. However, there are some red flags that you could watch for that might indicate you'd benefit um, from increasing your electrolytes or even your fluids. Um, so the first would be dark yellow pee. So if your mm-hmm. pee is really yellow and concentrated, it probably means you need more water and potentially you need some more electrolytes to, to get you hydrated. A big one would be cramps. So when you're losing sodium and magnesium especially, um, this can cause muscles to cramp or seize up. So you might get a cramp in your workout or those Charlie horses in the night if you've yeah. ever got one of those foot or calf <laughs> cramps. It's like, ooh. Um, but that could be a sign for increasing electrolytes. Dry mouth and dry eyes would be another sign. Again, this could just be hydration, so increasing Mm -hmm. fluids, but it could be electrolytes too. Um, A headache, um, so again, could be fluids, could also be electrolytes to hold on to those fluids. Um, This one's a little bit, you know, unexpected, but water retention or puffiness um, could be a sign of Mm -hmm. low electrolytes. Again, we think of like an electrolyte like sodium as causing fluid retention and causing puffiness or bloating. Um, But sometimes if we're not getting enough, it can also cause this symptom. Constipation is another one. Um, Poor stress resilience, because again, you're using these electrolytes to produce stress hormones. Um, Poor heat tolerance. 
Um, fatigue would be a big one. So when you're dehydrated, whether that's fluid or electrolyte related, your blood volume is going to drop and then your brain and muscles aren't actually getting those nutrients um, that they need to stay nourished and energized. Um, and then another one with dehydration, um, which again could be fluid or electrolytes, is an increase in heart rate because when your blood volume drops, then your heart's going to work harder to move that blood through your body. Um, so all of these symptoms, again, I, and I said this a few times, it could be electrolytes and it could be fluids or it could be both. Right. So, Court, where do we get these supplements or what kind of do you recommend to your clients? Yeah. Well, first, I want to say that we can definitely get electrolytes through food and by eating a varied diet. So mm -hmm. different colors of fruits and vegetables are going to have all of these different electrolytes. So, for example, like green vegetables are really rich in magnesium and yellow, you know, fruits and vegetables like a cantaloupe or a potato is going to be higher in potassium. Mm -hmm. So when we're getting these different colors of fruits and veggies, we're more likely to be hitting on these electrolytes. Um, but we can also find them in dairy. So calcium being a big one in dairy. Yep in bone broth or even organ meats if you're yeah. someone who <laughs> likes to throw down on some liver. I can't say that's me, but my parents <laughs> do a good job of that. Um, so again, we can get them through electrolytes, but there are these special scenarios where our needs increase and it can be difficult to do that. So in these scenarios or if we're experiencing some of these symptoms that we mentioned, then we might dig into actually adding a supplement for a more convenient source of an ele electrolyte. Mm -hmm. We like to recommend the BioSteel powder, which you can pick up at Supplement King, or the Noon Tablets, which you can find at Sobeys, London Drugs, SportCheck, and a few other places in the yeah. city. You kind of have to search around for them, but those are mm -hmm. our top two for our Canadian clients, yeah. like BioSteel and Noon Tablets. Mm -hmm. There are some other great electrolyte supplements yeah. that we just don't get here in no. Canada. Canada's pretty sticky, luckily, on <laughs> yeah. what they let in, which I personally think is great that Health Canada doesn't just let anything kind of come in and be sold to consumers. But sometimes that means that we miss out on some of these products, like a lot of the electrolyte supplements that you'd only find in the States. The bottom line, hydration isn't just about fluids. It includes important electrolytes too. And while you can obtain ad adequate electrolytes through food, um, you know, consider electrolytes those that magnet that's going to make that hydration stick. So if you find yourself peeing and maybe not holding onto the water that you're drinking, electrolytes do become an important consideration. Number three, creatine, the big kahuna. <laughs> I feel like we're asked about creatine quite often. So Darian, mm -hmm. can you explain what it is? All right, let's go back to your university science classes here for a second. So creatine is actually found in the food we eat, including animal products like meat and fish. Um, and essentially what it does is it increases your muscles' phosphocreatine stores. Phosphocreatine is something that aids the formation of ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is the key molecule your muscle or your cells use for energy during exercise. So during exercise, this ATP is broken down to produce the energy, and the rate that this ATP is broken down limits your ability to continually perform at maximal intensity. So we can think of creatine helping these phosphocreatine stores so you can produce more ATP and fuel those muscles and kind of get out those extra couple of reps during that high intensity training. 
Yeah, I can just visualize my nutrition notes right now, like yeah. ATP to ADP, and then oh. the P coming back to the ATP, so it goes from three to two and back to three. So that's essentially what we're trying to do by supplementing, yes. is help your body so it can regenerate that ATP, that energy for, you know, typically mm-hmm. like sprints or yes. like really high intensity exercise. And so sometimes people think like, I'm going to take creatine and build muscle. It's like, no, you're no. increasing your capacity yes. to do work and therefore build muscle. Exactly. So what are the kind of the primary benefits of creatine then? Well, yeah, it's super interesting. Like I only kind of considered creatine from the perspective of strength and power output. Mm -hmm. So for anyone doing like resistance training or any type of exercise that has those power movements, like think like a one rep max lift or like a sprint. Those are the athletes that we typically recommend creatine for to boost their performance um, and therefore like, you know, increase muscle mass as well. But there's actually a huge... um, area of research going on now for creatine in terms of cognitive performance. Mm. So there are some studies that look at a reduction in mental fatigue in scenarios like um, sleep deprivation, traumatic brain injury, or even elderly populations. Um, So again, new area of research, but super interesting. So when we're looking at creatine supplementation, like often it comes down to those strength and power athletes, but they're even looking at it for cognitive performance, specifically for elderly people, and then um, vegetarians as Mm -hmm. well. Because as Darian said at the beginning, we find creatine naturally through animal foods. So athletes who are vegetarian typically see the greatest benefit from supplementing with creatine because they are not getting that creatine naturally. So that's a population that often will benefit as well. So what are we looking at in terms of a dose? So the recommended dose is actually 0.03 grams per kilogram per day. But honestly, for most populations, we just go five grams Mm -hmm. per day. Um, That's usually the scoop size on a creatine product. Sometimes we'll bring the dose up to 10 grams per day um, for someone who has more muscle mass or a higher activity level. But yeah, typically that five gram daily dose. And we recommend that you take it every single day, even on a rest day. So um, it should be a consistent part of your routine to saturate those muscles with creatine. So are there any side effects to taking creatine? Um, not, we don't see too many side effects. The main one would be some water retention and bloating. So that might be a consideration just to monitor. And if, you know, Mm -hmm. some clients who track weight closely might see that weight increase Mm -hmm. due to that reason. Um, but again, nothing too, um, serious. And again, creatine is one of the most evidence-based research supplements. Um, so we have a lot of evidence to say it is safe to be taking creatine. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I do think as, um, you get used to creatine take it more regularly your body does adjust and that fluid retention or bloating that you maybe experienced the beginning does kind of level off yeah the bottom line is that creatine has been proven to increase power output which lets you build more muscle and there's promising yet very preliminary evidence for certain neurological benefits to supplementing with creatine Number four, fish oils or omega-3 fatty acids. So fish oil is the common term used to refer to two kinds of omega-3 fatty acids. So EPA and DHA are their shortened names. And these omega-3 fats are found in fatty fish like salmon, um, but they can even be found in some plant forms too, like seaweed. So essentially this marine life. Um, So these The EPA and DHA are the main active omega-3s that we're going to be talking about when we talk about the benefits. But I do want to note that there's another form of of omega-3 found in plants called ALA. 
And a lot of times people say like, okay, get your own, you can get all your omega-3s from plants. So just eat hemp hearts, flax seeds, walnuts, chia seeds, um, and that's a source. And mm-hmm. it certainly is a source and they're foods we highly encourage. But these um, plant forms of omega-3 are only converted at a 10% rate to the Um, active forms we're talking about with EPA and DHA. So while we certainly want to have these plant forms of ALA, we don't want to rely on them for the omega-3 benefits that we're going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. More of like a bonus food. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So who might benefit from taking an omega-3 supplement? Yeah, so there's a lot of research on Mm -hmm. omega-3s for like so many cases. And so there's going to be, you know, potentially more benefits than we're even going to talk about here in the podcast. But we'll go through some of the top benefits and like scenarios where we would actually recommend them to clients. So one of the first ones for me in the hormonal health space is going to be any woman who's menstruating, especially if they have menstrual cramps, because there is some research, specifically a study that looked at omega-3 supplementation being as effective as ibuprofen for relieving menstrual cramps. So it's something I find myself recommending to a lot of my female clients who maybe experience that symptom. Okay. Another consideration is women in pregnancy. Um, So these omega-3 fats are crucial for brain growth and development in infants. So for this reason, we recommend women who are pregnant or looking to get pregnant supplement with omega-3s or just ensure they're getting enough through fish. Omega-3s can actually support improved eye health. So DHA, which is one of the omega-3s, is a major structural component of the retina of your eye. So if you don't get enough DHA, um, some like dryness and problems can arise. I know Courtney actually has kind of an interesting story. Yeah, I know that's a big motivator for me to take my omega-3s. I was actually really struggling with dry eyes, which I thought was related to hydration and electrolytes. (laughs) Up my electrolyte game, still had dry eyes. I talked to my optometrist and they highly recommended I regularly take omega-3s just to help produce that, like, uh, I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but essentially like the lubricant that your eye produces. And I started taking omega-3s and my dry eyes are completely gone unless, of course, I wear my contacts for way (laughs) too long. Um, So again, that's more like anecdotal because there's not as much research for that, but kind of just a cool experience I had with omega-3s. Another interesting area of research with omega-3s is that it may help prevent and treat depression and anxiety. Yeah, so obviously not making this recommendation to replace the medication you're taking or the work that you're doing with your doctor and healthcare team, but it's just a really interesting area of research where they're looking at omega-3s and the therapeutic effects they can have in major depressive disorders and anxiety. So what about omega-3s for inflammation? I feel like that's a very common one out there. Yeah, for sure. I think when I think of omega-3s, I often think of them being recommended for those anti-inflammatory benefits, which certainly we do see. So there's a lot of research that it can decrease um, the inflammatory um, cytokines that are linked to inflammation. So for anyone experiencing chronic inflammation or really just overall health, increasing omega-3s in the diet, which we'll talk more about, or supplementing can be a great strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And I know omega-3s too um, can support decreasing risk factor for heart disease. So touching on reducing triglycerides and blood pressure, increasing that good cholesterol, um, and even preventing blood clots. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting when you look at the research, it's Mm -hmm. like they find it's not actually associated with decreased strokes in heart disease, but then it decreases the risk factor. So kind of interesting, but certainly a consideration we have for clients looking at supporting their heart health. 
So how much omega-3s or where are we getting those omega-3s from? Yeah. So first off, I do want to say that we can certainly get enough of these omega-3s if we're regularly consuming omega-3 rich foods like fatty fish. However, a lot of people don't like fish, so they're not consuming it regularly, or maybe just they don't have access to good quality fish. I know here in Saskatchewan, it's not always the easiest food to source. So in these cases, we might look to supplements. And so the American um, Heart Association recommends one gram or a thousand milligrams daily of combined EPA Mm -hmm. DHA. Um, Health Canada, doesn't have any specific recommendations. So we usually go off this recommendation. Um, But when we're thinking about like that combined EPA and DHA, we really do have to dig into the food label. Mm -hmm. And again, oftentimes I'm just telling my clients, just send me the label of your fish oil and I'll tell you how much to take. But essentially what we want to look at is how much EPA and DHA is in the product and it'll be in milligrams. And then we want to add that up to see that it reaches a combined total of at least a thousand milligrams or one gram. So what we see is like a cheap or lower quality fish oil isn't going to have very much EPA and DHA per capsule. So you might have to take like eight or 10 capsules. One time I had a client, she would have had to take 50 (laughs) capsules to get the dose. So it's like she thought she was getting this good price, but really like the dose was so small. So usually a more expensive supplement is going to be more potent and then you take fewer capsules. Um, But again, we can just read the dose and then take the number of capsules that get us that combined 1,000 milligrams of EPA and DHA. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any side effects to taking omega-3s? Yeah, well, the main like detrimental side effect would be if you had a product that was um, rancid. rancid. So essentially like these polyunsaturated fats, so these omega-3 fats are very susceptible to damage by right. heat and light. So if the product was old or not popular, properly manufactured or stored, mm-hmm. that oil could be damaged and then it wouldn't be healthful, healthy mm-hmm. for our body. Um, but then other than that, really the main side effect that I think clients <laughs> complain about is um, fish burps. Um, so just having that fishy breath. And so um, certain products I find don't give you the fish burps as much, um, but sometimes clients find if they keep their capsules in the freezer and then take them, um, it doesn't cause the fish burps. But then I feel like if it's in the freezer, you might forget about it and you might be out of the habit of taking it daily. I like to have my supplements in my routine and have them like in a place I see them and remember. So that would be the downside to keeping it in the freezer. But it would maintain the oil better being in the freezer. Yeah, true. Yeah. Our bottom line is that we highly encourage our clients to obtain omega-3s from whole foods like fatty fish. However, um, if you don't like fish or you're not able to eat it often, or if you want some of these therapeutic benefits of omega-3, it can be very beneficial to supplement with an omega-3 supplement that contains adequate EPA and DHA. Number five, vitamin D. So vitamin D is a fat-soluble nutrient, and the sun is actually a major source of vitamin D, but it's also found naturally in foods like fish and eggs. And in Canada, it's actually added to certain products like our dairy products, plant-based milks, margarines, and eggs. Um, But unfortunately for us, during these winter months, it's hard for us to get enough of that vitamin D from the sun. Yeah. And so even though, you know, we can find vitamin D naturally in food and it's Mm -hmm. fortified, it's difficult actually to meet our needs through food alone. And then, as Darian said, as Canadians from November through March, we can't make it through the sun. Um, So then we start to look at supplementation, which we believe is important for nearly every Canadian. 
Canadian. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the benefits of supplementing with vitamin D or making sure we're getting enough? Yeah. So vitamin D is associated with many benefits, like specifically um, bone health, immune health, and then overall sense of well-being. So when we look at the consequences of not getting enough, it usually comes down to um, osteoporosis in older adults or in developing countries, we see it as bone diseases like rickets. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more of like a preventative measure to be right. taking vitamin D versus like, oh, I take vitamin D and I'm experiencing all of these health benefits. So you mentioned most Canadians should be taking a vitamin D, but are there any specific populations or key considerations when it comes to those who maybe need that extra special consideration with vitamin D? Yeah. So um, the reason I say all Canadians is just because of our geographic Mm -hmm. location. The latitude of where we live means that we can't always produce it through the sun compared to other areas of the world where they'd be producing it through their skin all year long. And so um, for this reason, just as like an insurance policy almost, (laughs) that's why I say all Canadians. But there are specific cases like um, people over 70 years old, we recommend. Um, They actually have a higher need for vitamin D to support their bone health. Um, And then also anyone who's deficient in vitamin D. So if that showed up on a blood test, how we dose or increase their levels of vitamin D might look a little bit different than what we'd recommend to the general population to like meet their vitamin D requirements. Right. So what does the dose of vitamin D look like? Yeah. So Health Canada recommends that we obtain 400 to 800 international units of vitamin D per day, which probably doesn't mean anything to people. But essentially, like if we were adding up the vitamin D sources that we get through food and supplements, this is like the minimum we'd want. And it would be very difficult to get to that minimum daily through food alone. Mm -hmm. So for our clients, we like to recommend that they take one to 2000 international units per day. This keeps them below the upper level set um, by Health Canada of 4,000 international units per day, but it just makes sure they're in that range so that they're not developing a deficiency. So even though we do make vitamin D through our skin in the summer, we recommend that our clients just carry through their vitamin D supplement through the the summer months um, because our body can't essentially get too much from what it's synthesizing through our skin and what we're taking in through supplements. So we just like our clients to keep up with the habit of vitamin D. But truthfully, if there was like a crucial time to supplement, it would be from November through March for Canadians. So something that's we do want to uh, just share here is a lot of times clients say like, oh, I'm outside a lot in the winter, like I would still make my vitamin D. And even if you were outside in the winter here in Canada, say you were naked, you were laying in the snow, you were just soaking up the sunshine, the angle of the sun based on our latitude in the winter yeah. is different. And you're not getting like a strong enough UV exposure essentially to for the reaction to be synthesized Mm -hmm. in the skin. So it does have to be um, from March through November that you're, you know, outside in the sun getting that vitamin D. Great. And I know some clients have asked about any side effects with vitamin D. And while too much can lead to calcium deposits in our blood vessels, this is really if we're just taking an extremely large dose of vitamin D from supplements, not from your diet or sun exposure alone. Yeah. And I would caution people against those mm-hmm. very high doses. Yes. I see that so often where people are just taking these ridiculous yes. doses of vitamin D because they've read it online. Um, but I mean, we we know there's consequences of taking too much of certain vitamins. Yeah. So I think that we should be trusting mm-hmm. of Health Canada and the research that mm-hmm. they've done. And unless there's like a special case where our doctor has recommended taking a higher dose, then we don't just want to like take a high dose of any vitamin supplement. 
our bottom line here is that vitamin D is an essential vitamin that is difficult to to get enough of through food and fortified foods. So for Canadians, it is quite important that we supplement um, because we're not able to make it through the sun in the winter months. Number six, B vitamin complex. So our B vitamins or a B vitamin complex is essentially um, a complex that contains eight of the B vitamins, which you often hear having all these different names. For example, there's like B1, B2, B3, Mm -hmm. but then they have alternate names like thiamine and riboflavin and niacin. I'm not really sure why they get two names. Darian, do you remember why the B vitamins get two names? Oh, I don't. They're just special. Yeah. Anyways, you'll see them called both things. Um, But essentially, like these B vitamins can be found in the foods we eat. Mm -hmm. So fruits, veggies whole grains, meat, cheese, and dairy, all those wonderful foods that we encourage. Um, But there are certain cases where we might recommend a client actually supplements with additional B vitamins. Yeah. So one of the key reasons we recommend B vitamins is to provide energy support. And that's because B vitamins are cofactors in the breakdown of the energy from our carbohydrates and protein foods that we're eating. Yeah, so essentially if you went back to science class and looked at that Krebs cycle, um, a lot of the B vitamins are cofactors or they support those, um, the the breakdown of energy, as Mm -hmm. Darian said. So um, they support our energy, which is why we'll often recommend them. And if you look in products like energy drinks, you'll see they put high doses of B vitamins and that's because they know it helps with energy and that's what they're trying to accomplish with the product. Um, But sometimes as dietitians, if if our clients have the basics of balancing energy down, like they're supporting their blood sugars, they're eating enough, they're getting enough sleep, mm-hmm. we might recommend a B vitamin complex for them just to give them that little bit mm-hmm. of an energy boost. I know it's something I enjoy taking. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, um, this is one that I actually find myself recommending a fair amount for clients. Yeah. So who do you typically find yourself recommending it for? Yeah. So definitely like that energy support. Right. Um, but then there are some special cases where we would look at certain B vitamins, yeah. like B12 deficiency is common in older adults. Yep. They're just not as able to break it down and absorb it. And then vegans who aren't consuming animal products, B12 is exclusively found there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, for women um, who are looking to get pregnant, yeah. folate is another yep. B vitamin that we want to supplement with to prevent neurological or neural tube defects. So there are some like special cases for each of the vitamins, right. but for the B vitamin complex, it's mostly for people looking for that energy support. And in terms of the dose, we're looking usually at a B50 complex, mm-hmm. which just means it contains about 50 milligrams of each of the B vitamins. And that just ensures we're not getting excess because there's not necessarily risk to excess of these B vitamins. They're water soluble, which means we'll pee out the excess, but we just find like we don't want to take extra of something if we don't need it. Exactly. And so that's really the only side effect you might see is that your pee literally turns highlighter yellow when you're taking a a B vitamin complex. Yeah. So I like to warn clients of that, especially if they use like the color of their pee to monitor hydration and no longer becomes one of the um, things they can monitor because again, those B vitamins will turn your pee very yellow, which is why people say like expensive pee Um, or taking vitamins is in excess is expensive pee, which is true, but um, B vitamins aren't really that costly. And so if we're peeing out a little extra, but we're getting 
the energy boost, personally, I think it's worth it. But again, this will be an individual consideration mm-hmm. as it's, well. It's pretty funny, actually, just a side note. If you've like never taken them before and start taking, like I had a client like text me one day. They're like, oh my God, like, is this supposed to be happening? I'm like, it's okay. Like, you're fine. I promise. But it's it's very bright yellow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I guess like another side effect is like a certain B vitamin niacin yes. can cause some skin flushing or sometimes people notice digestion is right. off if they take too much. So again, we never want to overdo it with a supplement, mm-hmm. but a B50 complex um, just again means 50 milligrams of each. And that's a nice dose to yeah. start with if you are looking for some energy support um, from the B vitamins. Number seven, caffeine. So caffeine. So (laughs) caffeine is a stimulant that's found naturally in foods like coffee, green tea, and even chocolate. And it is added to products like pre-workouts and energy drinks. So essentially it works by stimulating our brain and central nervous system just to keep you more alert and prevent maybe that onset of tiredness. Yeah, so we for sure see caffeine as a beneficial supplement for cognitive mm-hmm. performance, but also it's like very evidence-based for exercise yes. performance and reducing time to fatigue. And so for athletes, using caffeine for their training or their sport is something that we recommend in the sports nutrition world. So in that realm, Court, do you find yourself recommending pre-workouts? Yeah, so typically when I'm recommending caffeine for um, clients, I'm recommending that they source it more naturally mm-hmm. from like coffee or espressos, or they could take like straight up caffeine if they yeah. wanted to. I typically won't recommend a pre-workout unless the client wants to take it just because a pre-workout is going to come with added right. ingredients. Yes. So there's going to be taurine and things that increase blood flow. And so, I mean, this could be beneficial, but it's not something that I necessarily would go out of my way to recommend. Mm-hmm. So it'd more be like an, an individual consideration with the client if we want to be using pre-workouts or energy drinks. But I can't yes. say as a dietitian, I'm like, yes, you should definitely do this. Um, But it is something we navigate one-on-one. Yeah. What does the dose look like for caffeine in our day overall? Yeah. So Health Canada recommends no more than 400 milligrams per day for adults, Mm -hmm. which is definitely a recommendation I stand behind. Because if you're starting to get too much caffeine, one, it doesn't feel good. Like there could be side effects, like feeling jittery or having a headache. But then the big one is it's going to start to affect your sleep, especially if you're taking it later in the day. And as dietitians, we believe that like high quality sleep is one of the most potent things we can do for our health or specifically like our performance as athletes. So if we're compromised our sleep, which can be can happen if we're taking mm-hmm. too much caffeine, especially later in the day, then it's really not worth it. Yeah, we aren't going to say we don't use caffeine supplements. I've definitely been known to throw down on an energy drink here or there, but definitely a personal choice. And as Court said, um, considering the other stimulants in it and how, like you said, it might impact your sleep and your day overall. Yeah. And of course, like we did mention some side effects of too Mm -hmm. much caffeine, like, you know, feeling jittery or headache or just not great or, you know, having that compromised sleep. But there are other considerations I have as well. Like sometimes people might be, you know, drinking lots of caffeine and it's um, it can be an appetite suppressant. Mm -hmm. So then they're displacing like the energy or the key nutrients they would get from meals or even for like a lot of women with their menstrual cycle health. Like if they're just relying on caffeine and they're having excess um, cortisol secretion, which happens when we consume caffeine, then that can start to have an effect on their menstrual cycle. Or maybe again, they have that uh, appetite suppressing effect Mm -hmm. of caffeine and they're not getting the meals that they need to nourish their body and those key nutrients. 
And one more consideration as a side effect is how caffeine can increase your heart rate. And so for some people, this feels um, very similar to what anxiety feels like. So people who experience anxiety oftentimes find benefit from limiting or cutting out caffeine completely. So that is a consideration as well for caffeine. So the bottom line with caffeine is while it can be found in products like energy drinks and pre-workouts, we typically recommend clients try to stick with more natural sources and limit your intakes no more than 400 milligrams of caffeine, kind of being mindful of any um, impact you feel in your body and consuming it too close to bedtime. So we touched on the heavy hitters for supplements, the ones that we find ourselves recommending most often and are very evidence-based. However, there are some special considerations for supplements that we didn't talk about that we wanted to briefly touch on um, as they are supplements that we get a lot of questions about and and, and sometimes do recommend. So... One consideration is iron supplementation. So in certain cases, if iron is low um, or iron is not able to be obtained adequately from the diet, we will look at supplementing iron with our clients in conjunction with doing blood tests with their doctor. However, sometimes people just take iron because they hear it's important, but it's not a mineral we want to just take. Nope. Definitely not. Especially just a quick note from like a digestive perspective, it can actually lead to sometimes like stomach cramping, constipation if it's not warranted or not tolerated well. Yeah. And then we also think like you might hear a lot about eating antioxidants. So mm-hmm. eating fruits and vegetables because they're antioxidants and this promotes health. Um, but iron's actually the opposite. It's a pro-oxidant. Yep. So while it's important, too much of it can actually be damaging to our cells. So we don't want to be taking supplemental iron unless it's truly needed. Yeah. So another common one we see people taking is a fiber supplement. Yeah, so I have nothing like against yeah. fiber supplements for clients to support their fiber intake with that supplement. However, something that we like to do is work with our clients to help them get more fiber through food sources yes. because we know there's so much benefit from getting fiber naturally f- through food. So oftentimes we're able to support them in identifying high fiber foods so they don't need that supplement. Mm-hmm. But again, if they do want to take it, there's no harm in no. doing so unless there's like digestive upset that's yeah. happening from too much fiber in the day. Exactly. Another key supplement um, would be a prenatal multivitamin. So essentially a prenatal is the same as a regular multivitamin, except it has folic acid in it for what we mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier to prevent neural tube defects, which is an important consideration for women who are looking to get pregnant. And then it also has more iron because iron needs are increased in pregnancy. So any woman who is looking to get pregnant, we suggest that they do take a prenatal multivitamin. Another one is magnesium. So this is one of those electrolytes that we talked on earlier. Um, And it is one that we find ourselves recommending sometimes um, to do with cramps. Uh, Magnesium is a tricky one because there's many forms of magnesium. So again, it's something where we always have our clients. We make sure we're guiding and discussing with them which form they're taking because some can actually cause a lot of digestive distress and we don't want to see that happening. Yeah, sometimes clients will actually come and they say like they take magnesium citrate um, as uh, essentially a laxative and that's how they're managing their digestive health, which I mean, that will work. However, we often like to support clients from the root so that they're not relying Mm -hmm. on magnesium to support their digestive health. And we're doing that through the approach we take with nutrition and other lifestyle habits. What about melatonin? 
Yeah, so melatonin is a hormone we produce naturally. We produce it when it's dark and when we're, our body's ready to um, you know, fall asleep. And so there are some cases where I'll recommend melatonin. So maybe if the client's really struggling with sleep, they're a shift worker or they're experiencing jet lag because they do a lot of travel. Having a melatonin supplement can help us essentially get back on track with our sleep habits or help us fall asleep and stay asleep. I would say it's not one I'm commonly recommending as I find there's a lot we can do with sleep through our lifestyle mm-hmm. and nutrition habits. Um, that's going to be more impactful than supplementing with melatonin. Agreed. Um, I know one you um, sometimes recommend would be flaxseed, more of like a natural supplement of sorts. But what do you kind of see there? Yeah, so flax seeds contain phytoestrogens, so we can actually take phytoestrogen supplements. There's different forms, um, but flax seeds one that we commonly use with women, especially in menopause. So um, we can really dig into the science here, but essentially, um, phytoestrogens are plant estrogens, so they don't actually increase our body's level of estrogen, but they can interact with estrogen receptors. So for women in perimenopause or menopause, if they're experiencing symptoms like hot flashes or night sweats. Um, oftentimes supplementing with two tablespoons of ground flaxseed per day can help alleviate some of those symptoms. Um, so, you know, that's a special case mm-hmm. where, again, like Darian said, flaxseed is a whole food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we might just eat it for the nutritional benefits. But for women in this um, stage of the life cycle specifically, there can be some benefit. So I've had a few clients ask about this. So they'll go to the gym and they'll say, I see people drinking this like colorful stuff at the gym. What are they drinking? Like, do I need that? Yeah. So that colorful drink that you see a lot of people sipping on at the gym is typically BCAAs. So it stands for branch chain amino acids. So it's three amino acids, leucine, isoleucine, and valine. And these three amino acids can be found naturally in protein rich foods. Mm -hmm. So when we're eating a high protein diet, we're getting them from our diet. Um, But then there's supplemental forms that um, we can purchase in a powder, mix in our Mm -hmm. water bottle, and it's a very tasty drink. Um, And it's been shown, like the BCAAs specifically have been shown to build muscle, decrease muscle fatigue, and alleviate muscle soreness. However, truthfully, like supplements aren't really necessary when you're eating enough protein through food. So we don't go out of our way to recommend them as dietitians. We help our clients get enough protein for their needs. Um, But truthfully, like I've been known to pick up a BCA supplement (laughs) mostly because it's tasty, but it's kind of like an unnecessarily expensive supplement that again, like I wouldn't tell my clients to go out and purchase it, but if they enjoy having it and they're sourcing it from a quality company, um, it's not going to hurt and it could help them with their goals and their recovery. So Darian, with you being in the digestive health world, there are Mm. like some supplements that come to mind for me that I get a lot of questions about. So I'm going to ask you your take. Um, And the first one is supplementing with probiotics. Yeah. So probiotics, I feel are um, definitely more of like a buzz one. And essentially they are live microorganisms that should give a benefit to the host when taken. But actually research doesn't support that everyone needs to be taking a probiotic for our gut health. Um, The evidence is more the effectiveness with specific conditions of the gut. So if you're experiencing IBS or IBD, constipation, diarrhea, or even infections like H. pylori or C. diff, that's when certain strains of probiotics can be beneficial. But just taking a blanket probiotic, if you're uh, a general, otherwise general, like quote unquote healthy individual, isn't necessarily going to have any benefit to you it's not going to hurt you but it again just becomes something expensive that you're taking um, especially when you're already creating that diversity in your microbiome through a variety of foods and vegetables and 
and maybe even like some natural probiotic containing foods. Mm -hmm. So again, taking that supplement just becomes a little bit expensive. And it's definitely something where there's many factors you might consider before buying one, even like are you looking for a specific condition? Are there species or strains that we need to research that are helpful for that condition? Um, is the dose adequate? So again, it becomes a lot more complicated than just taking a probiotic. Yeah, for sure. Um, so another one in the digestive health world, digestive enzymes. Yeah, so those are supplements that essentially they provide like an outside source of digestive enzymes for your body. But the thing here is your body makes enzymes in your digestive system, like they start in the mouth, in your stomach, your small intestine. Um, the largest part of this work is created in your pancreas. So these digestive enzymes help break down the carbohydrates, fats, and proteins from the food you're eating and allow for the necessary absorption of these nutrients. But unless you actually have maybe something wrong with your pancreas or have a condition that warrants them, your body's going to be okay um, producing those enzymes on their own. Okay. Interesting. And sorry, one more quick note. I won't go too far into this. A lot of the food we eat have natural enzymes, like pineapple, for example, has an enzyme called bromelain that helps us digest food. So the food we eat actually has those natural digestive enzymes already. Oh, super interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, and the last one I'm going to ask you about is collagen. Yeah, you know, collagen, again, very common one. And I know there is some research to support like wound healing and even like our skin, hair, and nail health. But in the digestive health realm, there's not a lot of um, sound evidence to support that it might like heal or repair your gut lining. Um, so I would say there's definitely no risk at taking collagen. If anything, maybe you notice some benefit to your hair growing your, your nails. But um, if you're looking to take it from like a gut healing perspective, it's um, it might not be something that does the trick for you. Yeah. And we talked more about collagen and other recommendations yeah. for digestive health in a podcast. So if this is an area of interest for you, we highly, highly recommend you going back to that episode mm -hmm. um, for some more specific tips and conversation around these supplements. Yes. So in addition to our heavy hitters, we touched on some of these additional supplements that may be beneficial or supplements we receive a lot of questions about, and there's probably more we missed. Mm -hmm. So this is where as dietitians, we're able to work one-on-one -on -one with our clients to identify any specific supplements that are going to be that cherry on top of their <laughs> ice cream sundae, um, or again, to navigate some of the research or the information clients are hearing about um, supplements. In this podcast, we talked about some of the most common evidence-based supplements we find ourselves recommending to clients. However, we want you to keep in mind that supplements are meant to complement a diet rich in whole and unprocessed foods. Supplements can be expensive and can also pose a risk if they're not carefully sourced. For this reason, we recommend that you work with a trusted healthcare provider, like a registered dietitian, who can carefully identify the supplements that will be safe for your body and support your specific goals. Thanks for spending your time with us. To further fill your plate, follow us on social media using the links in our show notes, or visit us online at vitalitynutrition.ca. And as always, we welcome your ratings and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay fed, stay moving, and stay well.
produced at Sound Lounge by T-Bone. Um, so these omega th- oh, <laughs> omega three fats are usually <laughs> keep going. <laughs> I should have just it. Now we're just getting goofy. No, okay, just, I'll get it together. Yeah, sorry.